Thank you for listening to this recording of Family Bible Church's Sunday morning message. We pray that God will use this word to bless and encourage you. We are in Acts 25, and we'll be picking up in verse 13, Acts 25, 13. And after some days, King Agrippa and Bernice came to Caesarea to greet Festus. When they had been there many days, Festus laid Paul's case before the king, saying, There is a certain man left a prisoner by Felix, about whom the chief priests and the elders of the Jews informed me when I was in Jerusalem, asking for a judgment against him. To them I answered, It is not the custom of the Romans to deliver any man to destruction before the accused meets the accusers face to face and has opportunity to answer for himself concerning the charge against him. Therefore, when they had come together without any delay, the next day I sat on the judgment seat and commanded the man to be brought in. When the accusers stood up, They brought no accusation against him of such things as I supposed, but had some questions against him about their own religion and about a certain Jesus who had died, whom Paul affirmed to be alive. And because I was uncertain of such questions, I asked whether he was willing to go to Jerusalem and there be judged concerning these matters. But when Paul appealed to be reserved for the decision of Augustus, I commanded him to be kept till I could send him to Caesar. Then Agrippa said to Festus, I also would like to hear the man myself. Tomorrow, he said, you shall hear him. So the next day, when Agrippa and Bernice had come with great pomp and had entered the auditorium with the commanders and the prominent men of the city, at Festus's command, Paul was brought in. And Festus said, King Agrippa, And all the men who are here present with us, you see this man about whom the whole assembly of the Jews petitioned me, both at Jerusalem and here, crying out that he was not fit to live any longer. But when I found that he had committed nothing deserving of death, and that he himself had appealed to Augustus, I decided to send him. I have nothing certain to write to my Lord concerning him. Therefore, I have brought him out before you, and especially before you, King Agrippa, so that after the examination has taken place, I may have something to write. For it seems to me unreasonable to send a prisoner and not specify the charges against him. Then Agrippa said to Paul, You are permitted to speak for yourself. So Paul stretched out his hand and answered for himself. I think myself happy, King Agrippa, because today I shall answer for myself before you concerning all the things of which I am accused by the Jews, especially because you are expert in all customs and questions which have to do with the Jews. Therefore, I beg you to hear me patiently. My manner of life from my youth, which was spent from the beginning among my own nation at Jerusalem, all the Jews know. They knew me from the first, if they were willing to testify that according to the strictest sect of our religion, I lived a Pharisee. And now I stand and am judged for the hope of the promise made by God to our fathers. To this promise, our twelve tribes, earnestly serving God night and day, hope to attain. For this hope's sake, King Agrippa, I am accused by the Jews. Why should it be thought incredible by you that God raises the dead. Indeed, I myself thought I must do many things contrary to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. This I also did in Jerusalem, and many of the saints I shut up in prison, having received authority from the chief priests. And when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them, and I punished them often in every synagogue and compelled them to blaspheme. And being exceedingly enraged against them, I persecuted them even to foreign cities. While thus occupied, as I journeyed to Damascus with authority and commission from the chief priests, at midday, O king, among the road I saw a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, shining around me and those who journeyed with me. And when we all had fallen to the ground, I heard a voice speaking to me and saying in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. 
So I said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and stand on your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to make you a minister and a witness, both of the things which you have seen and of the things which I will yet reveal to you. I will deliver you from the Jewish people as well as from the Gentiles to whom I now send you to open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Therefore, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, but declared first to those in Damascus and in Jerusalem and throughout all the region of Judea and then to the Gentiles that they should repent, turn to God, and do works befitting repentance. For these reasons, the Jews seized me in the temple and tried to kill me. Therefore, having obtained help from God, to this day I stand, witnessing both to small and great, saying no other things than those which the prophets and Moses said would come, that the Christ would suffer, that he would be the first to rise from the dead, and would proclaim light to the Jewish people and to the Gentiles. Now as he thus made his defense, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, you are beside yourself. Much learning is driving you mad. But he said, I am not mad, most noble Festus, but speak the words of truth and reason. For the king, before whom I also speak freely, knows these things. For I am convinced that none of these things escapes his attention, since this thing was not done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you do believe. Then Agrippa said to Paul, you almost persuade me to become a Christian. And Paul said, I would to God that not only you, but also all who hear me today might become both almost and altogether such as I am, except for these chains. When he had said these things, the king stood up, as well as the governor and Bernice and those who sat with them. And when they had gone aside, they talked among themselves, saying, This man is doing nothing deserving of death or chains. Then Agrippa said to Festus, This man might have been set free if he had not appealed to Caesar. And may the Lord add his blessing to the reading from his word this morning. You may be seated. So in our study, then, of the book of Acts, um, we are at the place where Paul, clearly, based upon the reading, right, is going through his trials, literally, physically. Um, we have watched him now go from the presentation of the gospel, traveling around the world in order to present the gospel, to now fulfilling the promise that, that Christ had made regarding him and to him back in the beginning when um, Christ first came to him, and we'll look at that testimony in a little bit later. But in the midst of it, Jesus had told him, um, told Ananias to go to him, because he is going to bear my name before Gentiles and before what? Kings. Today, we actually get to see the beginning of that aspect. So over the last couple of weeks, we've seen the preparation of that. We've seen how God used it in um, an unrighteous imprisonment, if you would, um, that he was not guilty of the things he was being accused of, and he was taken prisoner by the Romans and, and taken in, and to use that in order to begin the process of sending him to Rome, where I believe, we're never told that biblically, um, <coughs> but that he'll have the opportunity to present it to those in Rome as well. But we see the fulfillment of it, the beginning of the fulfillment today, as he comes before um, Agrippa. Last week we saw, <coughs> excuse me, last week we saw him first of all before Felix, okay, who was the Roman governor of the time. And Felix um, had been, went through the whole process, okay, and he recognized the fact that Paul really was innocent of the things that were there, but he knew that he couldn't let him go. Because remember, Felix was already having issues with uh, the Jews, right? And so the whole process of coming down through it, um, the indecision of Felix, uh, Paul knew that he, was, he had discernment regarding the way, um, but, but Felix then delayed the case in order to 
please the Jews. Okay? And in that then, he delayed it long enough that he was removed and Festus becomes the new, new governor. Festus comes in and instantly goes to Jerusalem in order to meet with the Jews. While he's in Jerusalem, again, this is a years late, this is years later, it's a couple years later, right? They still have it on their brain that they want to wipe out Paul. Okay? And so while he's in Jerusalem, they ask the permission for Paul to be brought to Jerusalem so he can stand trial, while all the way they're saying what? We'll have an ambush ready, and so we can kill him. So Festus says, no, 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 no. That's not how we're going to play this out. You guys need to come to Caesarea. So he goes down to Caesarea, and they go down to Caesarea, and they again present their, their request to, to Festus. And at this point, Festus does what? He turns to Paul and says, so you're willing to go to Jerusalem? Now he's going to appease the Jews. And he's going to do what he said just a couple days ago that he's not going to do. And so Paul realized there was a setup. And so Paul says, I am already where I need to be. I am before the judgment seat of, of Caesar, the Roman judgment seat. He said, and this is where I want to be. And so I'm not going to be taken up to Jerusalem for, for the kangaroo court that's going to go on there. Rather, I appeal to Caesar. At that moment, Festus says, you appealed unto Caesar. To Caesar you shall go. And that's where we come into today. Festus is the governor. Festus is the, the governor of the land, okay? And he's going to be visited by Agrippa and Agrippa's sister, Bernice. That's not his wife. That's his sister. Agrippa grew up in Rome, okay? So he was very Roman in the, uh, his, his understanding of things. But he was also... Uh, the Idumean, he came from Herod the Great. He had a, the Jewish, semi-Jewish background, and so he knew all of the things Jewish. Um, long story short, through time and through bestowments, he becomes a very uh, wide-ranged king. He's over a lot of land, okay, and so he's well-known. Bernice um, had been married off twice, okay, to other people, and now it's later in their life, and Bernice is living with Agrippa. Okay, so it's his sister, um, and she's very powerful, and there's a whole lot of um, sordid um, stories that go on with that, and we, we don't need to worry about those, but you can kind of imagine, okay, um, how the Roman thing. And so anyway, so that's who she is. It's not his wife, it's his sister, okay? And so they come down for, you know, with the royal entourage and everything else because they're, they're coming to see the new governor and yada, 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 and this is it's all playing out. And so Festus has to do his best to you know, put on a good showing for the king. This guy has a lot of um, friends in high places, okay? So you got to kind of understand the background, what's all going on here, right? And so he's got this notorious case. And Festus isn't a Jew, okay? So it's kind of perplexing to him. So he says, ah, I got Agrippa coming. Agrippa has a lot of knowledge, right? He's got a lot of history in this area, his great-grandfather was Herod the Great, who built, helped build that temple, and all this kind of stuff, yada, yada, yada. So it makes sense to bring Paul to, up to, um, to Agrippa. So that's where we bring it in, and the first thing we see then is Festus's appraisal to Agrippa of the situation. The first comment I want to make, and these are, we're going to go quickly through Festus's appraisal, um, but there's some interesting things that just to look at, and that is, first of all, Regarding the judicial process, he says to the Jews, okay, that this is what I said to the Jews, you know, it's not the Roman custom, it's not our custom, to deliver any man to destruction before the accused meets the accuser face to face. This is a slam. He's making a slam against the Jews. Because the reality is that they, God established this way back in the days of Moses, okay? And, and much of what we have today in our, our governance doesn't necessarily come from Rome. It comes from the Word of God, okay? And God had already established this fact. So Deuteronomy says, one witness shall not rise against a man concerning any iniquity or any sin that he commits, but by the mouth of two or three witnesses the matter shall be established. And he goes on and on and on. And so they should already understand the principle of justice. But they don't want that. They want Festus to hand him over. And he's like, no, we don't do that. It's not what we do. 
He needs to stand trial. And if in trial he's guilty, then by all means, he'll suffer the, the consequences. But if he's not, we're going to let him go. Now, that's all a pretense. He makes that statement, right? Because the reality is, Festus is, is the governor of Judea and over the govern, governor of the Palestinian area, Palestine, and so, which has always been running amok. And so he's got to try to balance and please both parties is all I got. And so, honestly, if, if giving up Paul to be sacrificed, which is going to appease the people, Paul's what? He's toast. Exactly right. It doesn't matter what, what innocence is at this moment. Okay. The only thing that's saving Paul at this moment is what? He appealed to Caesar, but before that. His Roman citizenship. Yeah, he's a Roman citizen. Remember, that goes all the way back to when, before the, Ro- the, the Roman guards were going to scourge him. He says, is it right for you to scourge an uncondemned, uncondemned Roman citizen? Oops, no, it's not. Therefore, in order for them to do it, he has to be what? Condemned. condemned okay? They haven't gotten to that process yet. He hasn't been condemned, okay? So he's gone through Felix, now he's at Festus, and now Agrippa's going to come in, okay? But before the whole thing can happen, Paul appeals to Caesar because he realizes he's being offered as a sacrifice here, you know? And he's never going to get through this whole judicial process. So he appeals to Caesar, okay? So, secondly, his comment then regarding the Jewish accusation. He said that this Paul... um, is accused, there was accused of preaching this Jesus who died. He died. But Paul affirms him to be alive. Well, this goes all the way back to the, all the statements that were made even when Jesus had died. And then he had raised from the dead, okay? So there were Roman soldiers at the, at the tomb, right? The, the angel comes, there's an earthquake. The stone rolls away. The Roman soldiers fall as it were dead, Right? Like they, they faint, okay? They come back to, they realize that the body's what? Gone. Do you, re- again, remember, we talked about this earlier when we are going through the book of Acts, when Peter was, was all of a sudden gone. Peter and John were all of a sudden gone from the prison, okay? What happens if you're a Roman, Roman soldier or a Roman guard and you lose your, uh, your, your prisoner? Yeah, it's off with your head. That's exactly right. It's death, okay? So, so for them even to state that they were sleeping on the job. It's not a good moment, okay? So we read it, it's in Matthew 28, 1 to 15. Now after the Shabbat, after the, as the first day of the week began to dawn, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake for an angel of Yahweh, the angel of the Lord, descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat on it. His countenance was like lightning and his clothing like white as snow. And the guard shook for fear and became like dead men. But the angel answered and said to the woman, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He's not here, for he is risen. As he said, Come see the place where the Lord lay, and go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead, and indeed he is going before you into Galilee. There you will see him. Behold, I have told you. So they went out quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to bring the disciples' word. That's what the women were doing. Well, what were the soldiers doing? Verse 11, now while they were going, behold, some of the guards came into the city and reported to the chief priests all the things that had happened. What do you think they told them? I think they told them exactly what happened. I think they told them about it, this being in, in bright light and everything that came and there was a great earthquake and the, and the stone rolled away and all this kind of stuff and all of a sudden his body's gone. That's what I think they told him. Well, what happened then? Well, when they assembled with the elders and consulted together, they gave a large sum of money to the soldiers, saying, Tell them, quote, his disciples came at night and stole him away while we slept. Instant death. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will appease him and make you secure. So they took the money and did as they were instructed, and this saying is commonly reported among the Jews until this day. So, if there's an issue with who? The governor. Get it? If there's an issue with the governor, who's the governor? That's the Roman, the Roman governor, okay? And so you're Roman soldiers. If this comes, well, what? Say again. Pilate at that time. That's right, okay, at that time. But going on, continuing, right? So here we have the Roman governor who? Festus. He's with Agrippa. Same thing's going on through, okay? 
And so this Jesus, what? He died. It's a, it's a state of fact he died. Why don't we have his body? Well, those Romans, those soldiers that we put on that job, they fell asleep. And, and the disciples came and <laughs> No one ever asks the question, what did we do to those Roman soldiers? Okay? And so, but the same lie continues to go forth. But this Paul, this Paul, he, he does what? He claims he's alive. He's one of those who's affirming that he's alive. So, Agrippa, you have a little bit more knowledge in these things. Would you please help me out? Because he's, he's appealed to Caesar, and I'm going to send him to Caesar. But I really don't have anything to, to write about him. All I have to write about is these Jewish squabblings that are going to go on. He could have said, and I was going to offer him as a sacrifice. We wouldn't even be here. If he had just ascended to go to Jerusalem, he'd be dead by now, and we'd all be over. No, clearly we don't read that, right? But in behind the scenes, it's kind of where you're at on this thing. So I don't know what to write. So Agrippa says, I'd love to hear this guy. In my mind, again, I can't prove this. I think Agrippa already knows about Paul. Again, Agrippa has a wide reign. Okay? He has a wide empire that he, he sits over. Within the Roman Empire, he has a, a sub-area. Okay? And so there's no doubt in my mind, like with Antioch and, and those things that, in Damascus, that he's over those places, that he knows of Paul. He, he, he understands. He, he's heard of this guy. Just as um, the Herod, his, let's see, who would have been his uncle, great-uncle, when Jesus was brought before him, remember, during the trials? Herod was all excited because he'd heard about Jesus and he was wanting to see Jesus, okay? And so these guys hear about these things. They, they understand what's going on. And so I think in my mind, Agrippa knows about Paul. And so this is kind of like you got a great theologian coming to your city. You've never met him before and you have the opportunity to have him come before you. So you say what? Sure, I'd love to have this guy come in front of me, right? And so, so that's where we pick it up in chapter 26, right? Because, yeah, 26, um, where now we have Paul's appearance before Agrippa. And Paul then gives this presentation. And the, the very first thing he states in the presentation is to Agrippa himself, which is kind of fun, which goes along with the statements that I've been making about Agrippa. And he says to him, he says, you are anastase, you have perfect knowledge. So remember there's words, edo, um, oida, which is factual knowledge, but there's also gnosko, which is intimate knowledge. Okay? And so that's what he refers to with Agrippa. You are Nostes. You have this perfect knowledge. I don't know what he knows about Agrippa. But apparently he knows that Agrippa has a little bit of background into this. Okay? And has a, probably a little bit more knowledge in this. And he says, and you are then in the customs and questions of the Jews. Okay? You know all about us. You know our history. You know our religion. None of this is going to be um, unknown to you like it is to Festus. So therefore, Agrippa, I'm going, to, I'm going to give him my answer, but I beg you to be Macrothemia with me. Great passion. Long passion. Not long suffering, but long impassioned. I think he knows it. When he's starting to, to, to talk to Agrippa, he understands who Agrippa is, and he's really trying to draw this guy to truth, okay? Right from the beginning, right from the get-go. You know, you know about this stuff, so I beg you to listen to me. Listen to, hear me fully out, because this is going to change your life. I know he didn't say it that way, but that's in my brain what he's at. So Paul first starts with his what? His pre-conversion testimony. He starts, first of all, with his heritage, as a, a Pharisee. He says, look, if, if these, everybody else was willing to, to testify about it, if they were willing to give good testimony, and I should go back to this, about his pre-conversion testimony. Where is Paul right now? He's standing where? Ah, standing in court. Yeah, he's in Caesarea, he's been in jail, but right now he's standing in court. This literally is his what? Trial. But he's given his testimony. If you ever want to know what does it mean to have a testimony, this gives you it. This is what a testimony is. You're speaking the what? Truth. You're telling what God has done in your life. 
this is what you would declare in court. If someone says to you then, right, 1 Peter 3.15, you know, so why do you believe what you do? Why do you believe what you believe? So you need to be ready to what? To give an answer, to give a testimony, if you would, to everyone who asks you a reason for hope is within you. That's exactly what Paul's doing right now. He has the opportunity before king, a powerful king, to provide a testimony of what God has done, and he's doing it. So he starts where he was. This is where I was. I mean, I was a Jew's Jew. My heritage, I was a Pharisee. Agrippa, you understand what that means? Because I was the most conservative of them. However, there is a part of being a Pharisee, and that is the hope of Israel, and that is of the resurrection. The Sadducees don't believe it, but the Pharisees do. That's, remember, what caused the battle in the council, right? I stand here because I believe in the hope of the resurrection, okay? And so, from the beginning, Pharisees believe it. Boom, 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 boom. That when you die, you're going to be raised from the dead. And that God is going to bring every single individual before him. And so, we have this hope of the resurrection. That's what I believe in. That's really the basis, if you think about it, for belief in Christ, so the Sadducees, if they don't believe in the resurrection, what happens when they come to Jesus? It's got to be instant denial. Because you don't believe in the resurrection. So the guy couldn't have resurrected. Does it make sense? So you, you either have to change dr- drastically your belief system or you deny what's in front of you. Nicodemus, who came by night, was a what? A Pharisee, not a Sadducee. You see how that plays out? Okay. Paul was a Pharisee. Okay. Pharisees were semi more inclined to believe in Christ because they believe in the resurrection already. Okay. So that's why it's important sometimes you see a kid that goes to church or whatever that may not come from a godly family, but the family says they need to go to church. That's kind of good because at least the child is receiving a little bit of a what? A foundation. Okay. So he has this hope. And secondly, though, or thirdly, he goes into that. However, I had this hatred then for the church. I persecuted the church. I pursued the church. I went after the church. I wanted to bring them, I wanted to destroy it. But again, why did he want to destroy the church? He thought they were going against God. He was following the law. He had, he had an, a passion for God, misplaced passion, but he had a passion for God. And so he thought these individuals who were following this Jesus were creating a cult which was going against God, and he was seeking to then wipe them out. So that transfers them then to his conversion testimony, right? And so he says, I was on the road to, to Damascus. I was on the road to Damascus. And while I was on the road to Damascus, this bright light, brighter than the sun, shone upon us. And every single one of us, all those with me, we all fell to the ground. We all fell to the ground. And then there was a voice from heaven that spoke in the Hebrew language. And he said, my name, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you? I'm Jesus. I'm Jesus, the one that you're persecuting. It's hard for you to kick against the goats, the pricks. The, the, think of a shepherd goading the sheep, trying to push him along the way. Which means that in my brain, again, we go back to Acts 9 because we talked about it, that Jesus all along has been what? Trying to get his attention. Okay? And he's been fighting against it. But in the end, he was going to be the toll that God was to take the gospel before the kings. So this thing comes upon him. He has an indictment from Christ. What's the indictment? You're persecuting me. You're a sinner. You may think you're righteous, Paul. As a Pharisee, you may think that you are obeying all the law. But right now, you're actually fighting against God. Before somebody can be saved, what do they need to know? They're a sinner. That they're a sinner. 
I mean, this isn't dramatic. This isn't drastic. This is, you know, this isn't in your face stuff, but it really is. Saul, you're persecuting me. You're killing innocent people because of their belief in me. All right, Lord, what do you want me to do? Right? I want you to go to Damascus. Well, it's kind of fun because the next thing we see then is his induction by, by Christ. Say, induction. He's inducted. He's inducted as an apostle. At this very moment, he's inducted into the ministry. God takes him. He doesn't have to wait. Do you ever think that you need to go to seminary or Bible college in order for you to minister? Huh? You thought that? Yeah. A lot of people do. I, I'm, the pa- I'm the pastor, so this is my church. It's not my church. I happen to be a voice box. And I have had the privilege of being taught Hebrew and Greek, which does allow me to study a little bit deeper, but allows me the privilege of teaching other people Hebrew and Greek. And again, if you want to learn Hebrew and Greek, I'd love to teach you. Okay? Are we going to be Hebrew and Greek scholars? No, not at all. But will we know enough in order to study God's word and, and, and have the whole counsel of God? Yes. Do you get it? That's the whole point. It's not to have titles and, and, and things. I mean, I've debated for years whether to go to get my doctorate. The only reason for me to get my doctorate is if it'll help me to um, present somebody else to get a master's degree if they want that and that kind of stuff, okay? That's the only reason for, to get that. That's still going on in my brain. There's still things going on. I'll be meeting with somebody in a week and a half from now looking at, you know, Eddie's coming in from Tennessee, and we're going to be helping to train him. He's going to start seminary in January. There's just a lot of things going on. So my goal still is to train men from that perspective, okay? And so if God says I need to have that, then I'll, I'll follow that and just do it. But I'm hoping that I know another guy who has one, and we can go on with him. So... But you hear what I'm saying on all this, okay? You don't need it. Paul didn't need it. Yes, he was a Pharisee. Yes, he had been sitting under the feet of Gamaliel. Yes, he had a lot of that, in, that training. That's just training and discipleship. Does that make sense? But immediately, Jesus takes this guy named Saul of Tarsus and says, you're going to be my, you're going to be my minister. You're going to be my messenger. You're going to be the one that I send. To the Gentiles, to the Israelites, and to stand before kings. Again, I don't think that's anything necessarily special about Paul. Yes, I understand Paul had a special ministry. But does it not say in 2 Corinthians 5 that we are ambassadors of the reconciliation? Does it not say in Galatians chapter 4? that in the fullness of time that God sent forth his son to be born of a virgin, to be born under the law, that he might redeem those who are under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. That's what he's done. He's, he's made me a prince. I'm a child of the king. I re- Amen, exactly right. I mean, when I mean, we sing it, I'm a child of the king. Do you really believe it? It's who I am. I have greater authority than Prince Charles, or now King Charles. Think about that. He only represents a realm on earth. My father, my Abba, my eternal daddy is the king of the universe. And he's given me the privilege of representing him here on the earth, and it has nothing to do with my degree, has nothing to do with my pedigree, has nothing to do with my heritage, has everything to do with his message. It's his word that saves, not mine. And so he's told, I'm going to send you so that you can present light to those who are in Darkness. That you can deliver them out of the domain of Satan because it's a spiritual war. And you can bring them into the kingdom of God. That's who we are. That's the privilege that we have. And Paul is exercising that privilege in this passage that we're reading about. 
So even his telling his story is letting everybody know, this is who I was. I was a chief sinner. Yes, yes, I thought I was righteous. But Jesus let me know that my righteousness was like a filthy rag. But that he had a greater purpose for my life. So what did I do, Agrippa, with this, with this information that was happening right now? What did I do? Well, I wasn't disobedient to it. I was obedient. God told me to do this, and I said what? Yes, sir. Base, boot camp, right? Jump! The proper response is, how high? On the way up. That's exactly right, Steve. Amen. On your way up, you can transfer. I'm going as high as I can. This isn't a matter of, well, debate this for a moment. I was obedient to the heavenly vision that was given to me. Stop for a moment. Can you say that? I'm not asking. I know I struggle with a lot of this. Okay? Were you obedient? to the call of God, to the call of Christ in your life? Or were you only looking for fire insurance? As long as you got that insurance policy, you know, like, like playing the game of life, you know, as long as I got that little policy thing that I can put in my stack so when I get to the end, I can turn in my policy statement, you know, and get my money back, which is all good for it, you know? It's not how life is. It's not how internal life is. Are you willing to give Christ everything and be obedient to the calling that he's given you. First of all, his obedience. Secondly, was his message. And so he comes out now and he declares what his message is. What's he doing at this moment? He's preaching, but he's witnessing. He's giving his testimony. You asked for my testimony, I'm giving you my testimony. Right? And so part of his testimony is, and this is the message, O Agrippa, that I'm now giving. I'm calling people to what? Repent. Change the way they think. And how do you do that, O Agrippa? How, how, King Agrippa, can you change the way you think? First, you need to epistrepho. You need to turn. You need to turn. And then you need to, to begin to do Works that are worthy, axios, we'll talk about that in a moment, Ephesians chapter 4, that are fitting of that turning. So you need to change, you need to repent. In order to come to Christ, you need to repent. You need to change the way you think. That was the same message that Jesus declared, John the Baptist declared, that was declared by Peter and, by, and now we see by Paul, is the message from metanoia. So what does it mean to change the way you think? We talk about this. If you change the way you think, it'll, it'll change the way you act, right? So I'm riding down the road. You've heard me give the illustration before. I get on I-20, right? And I'm riding down the road, and all of a sudden I see the sign for Thompson. And I go, um, we were going to the Columbia Zoo. It's not a good moment. That means that I'm starting to understand this a little bit more the older I get that it's sometimes you don't necessarily turn the way you thought you were going to turn, right? Anyways, that meant I got on the, the, the interstate and I turned the, the wrong way. At this moment, I have a decision to make, don't I? Well, just go to the Lambda Zoo. <laughs> sadly, sadly, isn't that what most people think? Isn't that what they do? And I didn't mention it in the introduction because at the end of this, we're going to find out the two common, most common reactions, responses to hearing the gospel. Okay? But sometimes people do that, right? But the reality is I have a decision to make. I need to what? I need to turn around. I need to change the way I think. I'm no, I thought I was on I-20 East, but clearly I'm on I-20 West. So I need to change my brain, and I need to be willing to do what? Epistrepho. I need to now physically turn around. I need to go off the, the, uh, the exit. I need to go around it. I need to get back on the on-ramp, and I need to be going the other way. Epistrepho literally means to turn around, go the other way. So you need to change the way you think, and if you change the way you think, you're then going to epistrepho. And if you epistrepho, what's going to happen? Well, now you're going to do works 
that are worthy of that changing way you think and the changing way you act. It just makes sense. So Ephesians 4, when we went through Ephesians, right? I beseech you, therefore, brethren. Oh, come on. Sing the song for me. Where's Justin when I need him? You guys sing the song. No, no, we sing it. The, the Ephesians 4 song, 1 to 6. Ephesians 4, 1 to 6. Help me, David. I'm, I'm on the stage and I'm losing it. <laughs> Say again. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling. Wherewith you were called, with all lowliness and long suffering, with long suffering, bearing one another in love. Okay, okay, okay. So, so that we're supposed to be walking worthy of the, the calling wherewith we were called. That's what he's talking about. That's what he's bringing. He says, look. This is where repentance is. You're going this way, and you say to yourself, no, it's all wrong. You're presented information that conflicts with what you're doing. And you have to make the decision. Are you going to accept this new information and change the way you think? Or are you going to what? Are you going to reject it? Agrippa, listen to me. Because I know that none of this was done in a vacuum. And you understand all these things. You know the prophecies of the coming of Messiah. This shouldn't, this shouldn't seem strange to you, Agrippa. This should all make sense to you. And I believe that you do believe. That's what he's going to say. I know you believe. I know you get it. How impassioned are you when you talk to people about Christ? Do you really want to see them saved? Do you care that people are going to hell? And a big old basket, send them. No, that's not the love of Christ. But that's to with them. Christ. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Jesus all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of truth. Jesus is propitiation for my sins only, but also for the sins of the whole world. It's what he wants. The call to repentance is then the completion of prophecy, which I just talked about, that, that all this was going to happen as a matter of completing prophecy. He talks specifically about Moses. Christ suffered and it was according to even the prophecies of Moses. And so that should, stop for a moment, that should ask me, so where did Moses ever prophesy about Christ coming and, 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 and suffering? Because honestly, it's hard to find a quote from Moses about that, okay? But that passage in Luke 24, 26, 27, that's Jesus talking to the way to Emmaus, right? And he says to them, Jesus says to them, he says, oh, you, you silly guys. He says, you know, don't, don't you know about how Messiah was, was coming to suffer? In beginning at Moses, he opened up the scriptures to them, right? Even Jesus began work with Moses. So that leads us to the question, well, and then Hebrews 11, uh, 26, that's, that's a statement of Moses, that he left being then a child of Pharaoh because he saw that the sufferings of Christ were worth more than, than, than those in the world. So that Moses saw that the sufferings of Christ were, were worth more. Okay? Well, where does he talk about it? Well, when we begin to realize that the whole thing from Genesis through uh, Deuteronomy, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, are all the writings of Moses. Okay? Now you can go back through it. So Genesis, beginning in Genesis 3, the sufferings of Christ are already starting in, in, the, in the curses that are there. In Genesis 22, does anybody know what passage that is? What happens in Genesis 22? Isaac, good, that's exactly right. The offering up of Isaac, okay? When, when God tells Abraham to offer up your son, your only son, okay? And that becomes John 3 is all played out. Okay? There are multiple places, number 21 with the, um, the, the, um, the snake, okay? That comes back to John 3, as well as just as the serpent was held up in the wilderness, so must the son of man be held up, okay? Um, 
Exodus 17. So you can go and you can look at these places, but the point is that there are numerous places where actually in the writings of Moses, it talks about how Messiah would come, okay? And then there are indications that would lead us to believe that Messiah then would suffer as well. And then we're also told that there would be the prophecies regarding him being the light to the Gentiles, and those come from the book of Isaiah, okay? And so when Christ came, he fulfilled these prophecies. Now, what's interesting to me, again, is that he's speaking this King Agrippa. As he says, and you know this. You know these things. Know your audience. I mean, he's, he's laying out a lot of scriptural truth. Make sense? And he's expecting Agrippa what? To understand it. Today, sadly, you've got to know your audience. When I go knocking on the door, I don't necessarily know I'm going to meet somebody who has any biblical background at all. And I have to be able to ascertain that right away. Do I need to start talking about a creator God? Or do I need to talk about the real reason Jesus came? Because maybe they've heard of Jesus. Does that make sense? And so you've you got to know your audience. He knew his audience. And so he's bringing out all these truths to him, okay? So the reactions. It's really where we're at, right? Where were the two reactions? First of all, we got Festus. <laughs> You're mad! Paul! are out of your mind too much studying too much think that when we're going we're trying to put him in school right mom you're going to I, I, I'm, you're going to drive me bonkers I mean this is going to make me mad no 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 this is going to equip you but that's not what Festus is saying right Festus says oops bring it up he says he says too much learning has made you mad right so what's Paul's response this is huge to me little bitty statement but it's very huge he's respectful he refers back to Festus respectfully. Oh, most noble Festus. You idiot. Isn't that what we're thinking? Festus, get a life. I'm not talking to you. I'm talking to Agrippa. Agrippa gets it. You're just a pagan Gentile. You don't get it. Close your mouth. It's not what he's saying. Oh, most noble Festus. I'm not mad as you suppose. But then he does refer to Agrippa, right? But Agrippa understands this stuff. Almost like, so later on, talk to Agrippa. Again, he's, he's teeing this thing up for Agrippa, right? And so he comes to Agrippa, and Agrippa says, you almost persuade me. Isn't this an amazing statement? You almost persuade me to become a Christian. I hear what you're saying. I understand what you're saying. I understand the validity of what you're saying. But can you imagine Agrippa at this moment, who he is? He can't believe. He can't believe. Not politically. Politically, it would be what? Suicide. He can't believe. I mean, I mean, he, he hears this and he understands it. But for him to accept Jesus, as Messiah, at this moment, he might as well just hand himself over for the lions. I know they're not doing the lions yet, but he, he can kind of see the handwriting on the wall, how that's going to play out, because he's going to lose his kingdom, right? And could you imagine Bernice? Her name probably is really Berenike, okay? And she's named after the, um, the Seleucid queens um, from way before, okay? And so her name is really a Greek name, and so she's bringing in that whole thing into that. And and she's probably nailing him on the side, like, no way, you idiot. You're not giving up my, my opportunity for royalty here, you know. And, and Agrippa says, man, you almost persuade me, Paul. And I think he's legit in his statement. I'm mocking Paul. Because Paul turns around and says what? He says, respectful, I would to God, not only you, but everybody here would become like as I am right now, except for these chains. I'm not wishing these chains upon you. However, I want you to understand the freedom that I have apart from these chains. And I want you to be like me. Are you willing to say that to anybody else who comes to you? 
do you really want everybody to be like you? Paul, in 1 Corinthians 11, beginning in 1 Corinthians 11, he says, be followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. Could you honestly ask somebody to follow you just like you follow Jesus? Or rather is it, I don't witness because I'm not the good example for them. They're going to see the hypocrite in me, and therefore I don't open my mouth. Do I then need to, and we'll get the, the slide at the very end in just a moment, right? Change the way I think again. So I change the way I act. So I actually then serve God like he's called me to serve him. So I can turn around then and present it to somebody else that I wish you were like me, apart from the chains. So, how have you responded to the news of Christ's resurrection? Again, I don't want to presume that everybody here is a believer. I can do that. But I don't know that. Jesus Christ died for you. He died for your sins. How have you responded to that? Have you picked and chosen what parts of the gospel you want to believe in? That's not believing everything. I mean, that's, 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 it's sad. I mean, and, I, and honestly, look, I'm, I mean that. If, if you're picking and choosing what parts of Jesus you want to believe in, then you really need to analyze whether you're really his. Okay? Have you accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior and, yes, as your Lord? Okay? Have you recognized then your need for repentance? How bold are you to give an answer of the hope that is in you? Do you really believe it? If you really believed it, it would come out of your mouth. With heart, one believes. With his mouth, confession is made unto salvation. Whatever you believe in your heart is going to come out of your, it's going to come out of your mouth. Is it your true desire to see others to come to know Christ as their Savior? How is it affecting your life? If you say, yes, I really believe that, yes, that's really, then what has it done in your life? Are you witnessing to others or because if you're not witnessing to others, then it's hard to say that that's really what you believe. And finally, then, is there a need to change the way you think and therefore change the way you act? Let's pray. Father, thank you again for your goodness to us. Thank you that you came to the earth to die for our sins. It was your plan from the beginning, not ours. And that God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, he became incarnate, God the Son, the earth, to pay for my sins. And not for my sins only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And through that payment and through that redemption, you have given me and us the privilege to be called by your name, to be then witnesses of your glory to those that we meet. Lord, help us to be faithful to do that. I thank you for Paul. I thank you for his testimony. But Lord, I pray that we would then uh, be followers of him as he was of you. And so, Lord, that we would follow you faithfully to magnify you with our very lives. In Christ's name, amen.